never done this before, so you might catch my last moments alive on film. <laughs> Just saying. Wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit. It's, uh, man, the heart is heavy. Nothing new with 2020. But we in California are being devastated by these uh, wildfires in uh, not just California and Oregon, up to all the way up to uh, Washington. Just devastation. The ash is coming down. The smoke is everywhere. And a friend reminded me of the sacredness of ash, uh, and it it struck me, and it's it's stuck with me. I can't shake it now. And it reminded me that the ashes. Uh, are sacred because it's death, it's loss, it's what the ash and the smoke actually are, are death of once living, thriving things, forests and trees and plants and animals, oh my goodness, all kinds of animals, it breaks my heart to think of the loss of life when millions of millions of acres are being burned to the ground that are the homes of so much beautiful and wondrous life. And then you throw in the human lives that have been lost and the, and the homes and the cities that have been reduced to ash. It's literally falling on the hood of my car. And it's a heaviness, man. It's a heaviness of death. And uh, In 10 miles, take a slight right turn to merge onto I-215 North toward Riverside. Will do, Siri. Um, so, yeah, so it, it, it's kind of changed the way I've looked at everything. It's like, I know he didn't mean to depress me because that's not him, but it depresses me now to just constantly see this smoke and ash uh, and to know the devastation. I lift those people up uh, and I pray that we as a community of human beings and of Americans and of Californians and Oregonians and uh, we can just support our communities and each other in this tragic time. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. And it kind of fits into what I was thinking about. I'm thinking about like how how has Jesus changed me? And then how how did Jesus change the world for good. Not Christianity. Christianity is a, it's just another religion, and I don't believe that Jesus came to start another religion. He created a movement that has flourished sporadically. It's caught flame for moments, but then has been, always been snuffed out. So, I hate to use that analogy right now. But, um, and, and the movement I think the life-altering, changing movement is a, an assault on the worst and basest uh, instincts that we have as human beings that's in our DNA, uh, that is a part of the process uh, of evolution, which I believe in. And we've evolved to a place of consciousness and being sentient beings and recognition. And yet we still have these ancient 
instincts within a self-preservation survival. And I think it's out of those basic instincts that the worst kind of sin uh, is birthed. And that is greed. I mean, greed. Uh, some people say, well, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. No, it's, it's not. It, it's, it's greed that's at the root of all evil. Greed is birthed, I think, evolutionary-wise, in our DNA, is birthed out of fear. As I said, self-preservation, self-centeredness, and evolution and humanity wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the survival, quote-unquote, of the fittest, of the, of the most selfish, those that could accrue the most resources and sustain their life. I saw a uh, documentary on... I just hit a bump. Saw a documentary on uh, Nat Geo, and God, this is a bumpy road. I'm probably going to lose you again, but stay with me. On Nat Geo, and it was about uh, the jungle, and in particular, a uh, a literal village, a tribe of chimpanzees, thriving tribe in the jungle forest. Uh, their community was 350 strong. In other words, a single community of apes living together, socializing, working, creating families of 350. That's like a that's a that's a lot of small towns in America. 350 people and uh, or, or apes. And they, the reason they thrive is because they had abundant resources. There was plenty of food and vegetation and space and uh, water so that they could thrive. But even in thriving, they had this fear that they needed more. Uh, they had this fear of a neighboring tribe that was also thriving, but still smaller, substantially, than their tribe. <coughs> and what they decided to do <clears throat> was raid this other tribe of neighboring chimpanzees. And they literally formed an army, about a hundred strong, and they stealthily crept through the jungle. I mean, it was like Delta Force Rangers giving hand signals, not making a sound. And they, they came into an attack mode upon these unsuspecting chimpanzees of another tribe and another part of the jungle that was also rich in resources. And what did they do? Uh, they attacked them. And it was absolutely vicious. They killed, they mauled, they chased, uh, they even ate the young children, the young chimpanzees that were left behind in the In practice. two miles, 
Take a slight right turn to merge onto I-215 North toward Riverside. You're like, you gotta be kidding me. Uh, and then they took a bunch of fruit, kind of raided everything, and then it went back to their village and their tribe. And I look at that and I'm like, well, man, that is just a part of life, a part of being human uh, and having a consciousness, a sentience to the level that you're like, okay, we got a lot, but is it enough? And that's in our DNA. What is enough? When we look at wealth inequity in the world, to know that a handful of people have more wealth, the single handful of people, than half of the whole world combined. That's greed, man. And that's why things are fucked up. It's greed. It always is. And we see that recognized by our early ancestors. We see it in the ancient stories of the Bible. Use the right two lanes to take a slight right turn to Many merge onto I-215. Remember the story of Moses, right? And, uh, you know, he takes, after killing the firstborn with God, he, you know, was into killing children at this point. Um, take a slight right turn. Of Egypt. And then he, he takes him on the Exodus. And for know, 25 miles, continue straight. I don't know that this story is real. There is no archaeological proof of it whatsoever yet. There's a few interesting things that could lead us to believe that some sort of thing happened, but certainly not like the mythical story of the Bible. But for me, the story isn't important about how factual it is. What's important is what it reveals about humanity and being human and how old these instincts are. Because if you remember the story, they go into the desert. They're so happy to be liberated. But then what do they want? They want more. And they start bellyaching and complaining about how better it was in Egypt. Uh, so God's providing for them in the desert for these magical 40 years uh, of wandering. And they wander 40 years because they lacked faith. And he wanted that whole generation to die off. And uh, in the meantime, for 40 years, as the myth goes, they walked around and their clothes never wore out and their sandals never wore out. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a fantastic story. But what it also reveals is amazing about the human nature because they complained constantly. And Moses was up to his nose, and God would send things. <clears throat> he send them, you know, they wanted meat, so he send them birds until they had more meat that they could eat and <clears throat> gorge themselves. <clears throat> and they were thirsty, and God used Moses to strike a rock and and bring a, 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 a river out of a rock to these thirsty people. They complained about not having bread and and that became a very powerful symbol, right? The manna that came from heaven. But the stipulation was, is that each family could take as much manna as they needed for that day and for their family. But they shouldn't take any more. They should just trust that each day will receive as Jesus incorporates into that Jewish prayer, our daily bread. 
but many wanted more and they didn't have the faith or trust and and I get that uh, so they would take more that would probably be me but then you wake up in the morning and the more you took had rotted had turned to just mold and was steak and couldn't eat it and this was the ongoing test and yet people would continue to try to take more why because it's in our dna and rooted back in that ancient story we already see this evolving presence of consciousness saying like man we need to be content with what we have we need to know that we don't need more than what we need and that opens up now the possibility for our community to thrive through cooperation and sharing. The first murder, one of the most ancient stories we know in the Bible was Cain and Abel. You know the story. Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel and they present sacrifices to God. One of them is a tiller of the soil uh, into agriculture. The other one was a shepherd and raised animals and this speaks to the ancient conflict of land <clears throat> a conflict that goes on today the conflict that is as old as history between farmers and agriculture and and, and ranchers and this is like an amazing old story and Cain's, Cain's sacrifice wasn't satisfactory to God. Abel's was. And in that jealousy, he killed his brother. And many theologians think that that's just rooted in that, that basic jealousy and anger of favor or non-favor of the gods or God uh, of resources, of land. Whose land is it? Well, the Bible makes this crazy declaration, which is pretty progressive, that the land doesn't belong to anything. The earth belongs to God. So ownership is, is not... That's why they had this amazing plan in the ancient Old Testament. Talk about progressive. Of this thing called a year of Jubilee. So the nation of Israel did many things to live as a society to look out for each other as it was stipulated in the Bible. Um, farmers couldn't take all their crops. They had to leave food for the poor. They had to pay temple taxes. And those taxes would come in and that wealth would be redistributed to take care of the poor and the needy, literally, of the widow, of the orphan, uh, of the immigrant, uh, of those without resources. Uh, this was a safety valve. And the land that everybody had bought and sold, there came every 70 years a time where it all had to be returned because the land didn't belong. You don't own it. God owns it. And some people are play, and playing this monopoly game are going to have a lot more success than others. And sometimes when you're behind the eight ball, it's hard to get out from behind the eight ball. So every 70 years, they had the year of Jubilee 
and everybody who had been sold into slavery because they couldn't pay their bills was set free. Everybody who lost their lost their mortgage, couldn't pay their mortgage and lost their land, got their land back and the, and the monopoly board was shuffled and the money was redistributed. And that was a way of trying to remind people we need to share. Of course, Jesus talks about sharing. I think Jesus' famous miracle, one of my most favorite, I understand a completely different way, and that was the feeding of the 5,000, and the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the Jews, and then the feeding of the Gentiles, and these miraculous feedings where he would have 5,000 people, and they would be hungry, and the disciples said, send them away, and he says they're hungry, and Jesus says to them, you feed them. And they're like, well, what do we got? We got nothing. And this little boy says, you know, I've got some barley loaves and some fish, and they take some barley loaves and fish, and Jesus says, start distributing it, and it starts to be distributed, and then as the story goes, uh, everybody gets fed, and there are baskets, baskets of food, of leftovers, and they collect the leftovers. Now, a lot of people think it's a miracle. Um, I don't. I, I like uh, Dominic Cresson. Marcus Borg, uh, Spong, Shelby Spong, some great theologians have really made me see it completely differently. And that the miracle wasn't that just God just took a loaf of bread and kept dividing it. The miracle was is that Jesus and his disciples took what this little boy had, obviously would have paid him for it, and then distributed it. They took out of their pockets. The disciples had some food too, but everybody started pulling the food that they had out of their pockets and started sharing it with the neighbor around them that might not have any. And in this this crowd of 5,000, what we had is a mixture of have and have nots. And what Jesus gave them as an example was that there's plenty for everyone. And I think that's the message that Jesus came to give us. Of how you're supposed to live life. You live life believing this fact. There's plenty of resources. There's plenty of everything for everyone to prosper. Everyone. But you got to share. And you can't live out of fear. And distrust. And, 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 and in following this in my own life, I've come to go like, wow, I'm starting to get it. Uh, when, when John the Baptist was on the River Jordan, he was just blasting the religious elite and calling them to return, which is what repentance means. Not to, not, not to just turn from sin, it means to return to the right path. And he took them to the River Jordan because that's where Israel's story starts. Uh, uh, in, in the new land. And he's saying, we're back at the starting line, let's do this right. And some people ask him questions like, well, what do you, what, what do we do? And it was really, that's great. Okay, so what, what do we do? And he says, be content with your pay. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with desiring a raise or working hard or trying to improve yourself. That's not the point point is that some people are never satisfied. That's why billionaires are often dissatisfied because they're not content with their pay. Believe it or not, 
I have a friend that does work in the most fascinating field of staffing the rich and famous. Now, forget the famous, because the really, really, really rich people aren't even famous. A lot of famous people have money, and they're rich by our standards. They might be millionaires, but then there's a whole level of people that nobody knows who they are, but they live around us, hidden from us, and they have the real coin and bank. And they have so much money, they can't spend it. They don't know how to spend it. And they are literally made mentally ill by it. And my friend tells me this because he staffs these people's homes with uh, everything you can imagine from drivers and bodyguards to, uh, to maids and gardeners and cooks and chefs and everything. And it's incredible, first of all, generally speaking, how cheap these people are and how sick in their mind they really are. There's never enough. You think of the story of Jesus, about Lazarus, the old man that was sitting outside the, 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 the big wall of this estate of the rich man inside and he would eat out of his trash and the rich man never gave him anything. Remember that? And, 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 and then it turns out in the story, they both die and the rich man, well, he goes to a proverbial hell, an isolation. And the poor man receives in Abraham's bosom abundance. Because he's like, you had yours at your time, and this had nothing, but now the roles have switched. Now, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing story. Not, not if you're rich. It's really, really bad news if you're rich. Um, it's a bad story. And this, you can understand why people who were rich hated Jesus. Uh, and still hate In 10 him. miles, take exit 25 onto Van Buren Boulevard. Uh, they hate him today. Rich people hate him. So what did they have to do? They had to create a different kind of Jesus so they could be rich and they could as feel assuaged by his prosperity and blessings. I heard some lady say about Donald Trump, guy was asked, asking this woman about how she could, you know, be a Christian and support Donald Trump and when he's done so many things that are just so immoral. And she says, wait a minute. She goes, do you see his empire? She literally says this. You can't have an empire like he has without God blessing you and talking to God every day about that blessing. Straight up. No, so blessed are not the poor, <laughs> for they will inherit the earth. The blessed are the billionaires, for they will in inherit the earth in her version of the gospel. Wow. Uh, we see it in that parable that Jesus tells about the guy that was really wealthy and he was having bumper crops and he filled his barn to the rim and then he had another bumper crop he's like what do i do and then he's like i got it i'm just gonna build a bigger barn and he kept building bigger barns and storing more and more wealth away for himself and then jesus called him a fool because he dies he just dies and and he dies with all that wealth sitting under the roof of his barns and he dies having could have done so much to make the world like the kingdom of God. 
with equity and sharing and generosity. I'm not talking about enabling people. There's a lot of there's a lot of scenes in the Bible too, but look, it is to enable people who are thieves, who are unwilling to work or lazy. That, that that's enabling. Nobody's talking about that. But we are talking about sharing basic things. The richest country in the planet, and we don't have a health care plan that serves our greatest needs. Instead, we have a military that has a bigger budget than the next 10 nation superpowers combined. And it's still not enough. And, it, and it, every year it's got to go up. But we don't have that for health care or for hungry children. You know, we cut those programs. We don't have that for hardworking Americans who are doing minimum wage jobs that might have a kid and have to pay daycare while they can go to the job and the daycare takes about as much as they earn per hour because we can't give a living wage, which was a biblical standard. The denarius a day payment in the Bible was a biblical standard. Anyways, Jesus says we can have an abundant life. It doesn't mean that we can have more things than everybody else. It means we can be filled to the brim and overflowing with kingdom life, the kingdom come life, where we can live in a world as a community and we can look out for each other and we don't have to live in fear and we can be generous rather than stingy and, and, and giving more than thieving and taking uh, and, 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 and really in, enhancing people's lives. I've had a chance to do a few things this past week and invigorated me uh, out of my very deep depression. One, I got to contribute financially to a young man getting his college education. This young man was on a full ride scholarship uh, as an athlete, but then it was found out that he was a DACA, he was a dreamer, and he lost his scholarship. And this is such a great kid, such a fighter, coming from hard circumstances. But the school didn't want to give up on him, and either did anybody else. So we've been raising funds. A friend of mine contacted me. He knew the kid personally. He, you know, this guy, he calls me. I know it's a good cause. So we as a church contributed to this young dreamer's college education. My daughter, the other day, she helped pay the tuition this semester for a friend of hers who lost her job, doesn't have the financial structure and background, has been struggling financially mightily because of COVID, but is going back to school <coughs> with my daughter, <clears throat> and she contributed a lot of her own money so her friend could go to college. I look at my daughter doing that. Dude, that's abundant living. That is abundant life. I got to see someone who I helped in rehab this week who's still sober living, but I had not seen in a while. 
and it was literally a, a, a resurrection. This person had gained like 30 pounds. This person was clear-eyed and healthy. It was unbelievable. I got to help out a mother of a friend of mine. Well, I love her too. And he's in prison right now. <clears throat> and the reason he went to prison, <clears throat> you might remember this, I told you this a while back, is he committed a crime purposely so he could go to prison. And he did that because he's an addict. In two miles, take exit 25 onto Van Buren Boulevard. And as an addict, as a vicious alcoholic, I have helped him through many years into sobriety and also helped him when he was out of sobriety. Uh, he needed to get sober and there's no rehabs he could afford or go to. That, so he committed a crime to go to prison and he's he's there now and he's, um, he's, he's doing well. <laughs> he's dried out, he's getting sober. Um, I'm helping his mom take care of some bills. Um, I'm sending him a book that I think he's going to absolutely dig called Shantram. It's a big fat thousand pager, just an amazing story. Uh, if you want a great uh, semi-biographical, uh, semi-fiction novel, Shantram, uh, I'd rather have it than anything else. I was on a desert island. It's so beautiful. So I'm sending him that, but he's doing well, and his mom's doing